Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Sensational driver from Kannapolis, North Carolina, Dale Earnhardt in the Austerlin Racing Oldsmobile. Earnhardt continues to show the way. You can't say enough about this young driver. He made the veterans sit up and take notice of his driving style. All right, so welcome to episode nine of Becoming Earnhardt, presented to you by Chevrolet. Um, the first eight episodes of Becoming Earnhardt encompass the season. Uh, and this is a round table, and I have some guests with me today. Um, uh, my Aunt Kathy uh, is here, and my Aunt Kay, who actually helped make the scrapbook. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. And y'all have been featured in the show. You've done some done some extra work for us uh, to help sort of promote the series. Uh, but we'll talk about that. And also with us is crew member in 1979, Doug Reichert. Very good. Doug. Thanks, Dale. Yes, sir. Um, thanks for being here. I'm, th- I'm thankful that y'all are here, and I kind of have a lot of questions. But basically, um, when we started out the series, we explained how I get these these two scrapbooks, Kay, and you made these and um, back when the moment was happening, right, going through the 29th right. season. You make the scrapbooks, and they were, they just literally just laid around the house. 
for under my bed for 40 years or whatever for right? a long for years yes mm-hmm. when you made them do you remember making them do you remember those yes moments? i do i mean um i bought blue and yellow because that's the car dale was driving at the time the wrangler car and each week you know articles would be in the paper or either somebody would give me an article yeah. i'd cut them out and i i did not wait i went ahead and placed them where they go yeah so that's so what anytime i found. i had anything yeah. i put it in the scrapbook do you remember this kathy well credentials any, anything we had extra we gave them to Kay. gotcha because she's because the they're collect- in there too yep yep she yeah. kept all credentials tickets i kept my own credentials mm-hmm. and tickets too i mean for the first year or two that we went to the race we always got passes yeah and know, we all kept in. everything but mine's in a tote somewhere they're not in a scrapbook yeah you know they're still up in a tote up in the attic or so this is dad's very first year full-time um you're why did you want to make the book because we knew it was a big thing um hoping you know this was going to be his start to something wonderful and uh it just seemed like the right thing to do to document it and remember it so you know you got to realize that we watched him sacrifice an awful lot in the sportsman series and dirt tracking and uh, following in daddy's footsteps and giving up so much that when he finally got this break i mean i don't i can't speak for Kay. she's the one that made this awesome scrapbooks but I know how we all felt as a family just watching him sacrifice and and try so hard, you know, try so hard to be something and make something of himself. So um, the the great thing about the scrapbooks is re- really when you open it up and you start going through them, it's perfectly in order. Like, you know, you did it just like you said. It's, as, as the articles came out, they went in the book. And so that— And it's a good thing I did it that way or they would not have been. <laughs> they would have been all over the place. It's a history well, book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that made it easy for me, really, yeah. to come— I'd been talking to Mike for a couple of years about doing a show around a story. And so I had this article around the boycott of the Talladega race that happened in 69 or whenever that was. And I wanted to do a a podcast around that story, you know, and really tell it in detail. But this was a better idea, right? Obviously put right down in my lap uh, that, you know, had this scrapbook. And I know about, I can look in, uh, you know, a website or I can look in a magazine and find the finishing order and find the statistics. And, but the scrap, the, the scrapbook had the quotes, right? From the articles. Mm-hmm. It had dad's own words, it had other drivers, and it really gave you the temperature of the moment and how funny it was how, like, at the start of the season, dad's very, I just want these guys to respect me. I'm just trying to earn their respect. I'm just trying, you know, they seem to be okay with me racing up there front. They seem, you know, he's worried about the veterans, right, getting annoyed by him or whatever. You can hear his voice, can't you? You can. And then at the end of the year, he's like, we're going to win the championship. You know, he totally changed. He flipped from, he was now a veteran in like a matter of like eight, by the end of nine, the year. nine months. He's like, oh, yeah, I got this, you know, we're, we're here to kick some ass um doug when you're i know you i mean how often do you really get a chance to to think about those times how often do you allow yourself to go back and and really 
uh, with the new NASCAR's got that new NASCAR classics out, so you can go watch these races. You know, <laughs> and I they're just to. they're That's, at your I'll finger. Learn a lot, right? right, all of the stuff's right at your fingertips. How often do you ever dive in? And I know on a few of these shows, it's like you know we always talk about we were talking about it in the lobby, like somebody will say something and it just triggers. Yeah, you know, and it's like oh god, yeah, let me tell you about that. You know right. what happened, and you know just I learned so much just by listening. I mean, back then I was the kid. I was just a kid that left California with a bean bag and a suitcase. Yeah. And I came this way and I was like, we're going racing. I didn't know what racing was going to be. It's like elevate. What am I supposed to do? I just did it. Yeah. Right. And we all did it and learned together. That's what was kind of cool. I'm fascinated by how you were 20 years old and maybe even younger than that during the 79 year. I don't know exactly how old you were in February when they started. 19. Okay. So you're 19 years old. The team has some veteran members on it, older crew guys that have probably been in the series or the sport. Uh, they weren't all 19-year-olds from California. Uh, Jake Elder, you know, this, you know, has been in NASCAR forever. He knew all the, you know, he'd been in every ditch there was, right, to, to get through the sport. Um, how were you able to establish yourself in such a way at such a young age to be depended on right how were you how did you acquire the respect and uh the um the camaraderie with the other guys in the team that allowed you to eventually in the 1980 season get the crew chief opportunity so i mean well, you know, it doesn't make sense like the numbers don't make sense so yeah, how did it happen i mean i did leave awful early and actually, I, I, going back and looking or thinking about the 79th season, my birthday was in June. So at the start of the season, I was only 18. Oh. So that, that'll knock that down a notch. <laughs> but it's like anything. And, and throughout my career, you have to earn your respect from the elders. I, in my case, I was the sponge. I was learning from Jake. He's the one with all the experience. We started – First race was out in Ontario. We showed up. We didn't know what we were doing. But how do you learn? You do it. And that's all I did. I worked alongside of Jake, and and we were hand in hand, the good and the bad. Yeah. You know, the temperament. He had his temperament. So do I. But I tried to be – I'm a, a, probably a more of an outgoing guy than, than Jake was. I was probably happy-go-lucky, and he yeah. was serious. He was – that was racing. That was his life. But I learned a lot, and I just – took it all in early in the scrapbook i'm reading an article um right out of atlanta atlanta's the first race with jake it's like the fourth race of the year whatever jake has a quote during uh the post race right so the the y'all had this good run and um i was trying to figure out a way to talk about his temperament talk about it's their fifth race of the year and so I was trying to have a way to discuss Jake and share with people what he was about. And um, he had these um, during the race uh, or after the race, he goes, he kept calling dad the boy. They're asking him about, you know, they're asking Jake about dad. And he's like, well, the boy listens to me. I stick with, you know, the boy, uh, the boy's got talent. The boy listens to what I tell him. The boy, and he never would call dad by his name. And so um, we will one day, you know, 
when we do the next episode reveal when we do the next series in 1980 we're going to reveal really how they felt you know jake falls apart we'll easily get into his temperament during that conversation but before then in 79 you know he does come in and he's like you know he's 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 like i've seen it and done it just do what i tell you and we'll be fine right exactly and he um but he seemed like, you know, there's these moments during the, during the season where, like, Dad's racing at Charlotte for the 600, and he's like, well, I'm telling him to slow down. He's talking to the media. He's talking to Ned Jarrett on pit road. And he's like, Dale's overdriving the car. He's running the car too hard. Well, tell him to slow down. I tried to tell him to slow down. He don't, he, you know. Wasn't in his blood. They were, <laughs> there was this weird thing where I felt like Jake would, Jake wanted things just to prove he just to prove and show that he had the control is that really kind of how it was because like you know he would um you know if if he said hey dale i think if you slow down you know we'll save a little race car for the end of the race and plus these you know the new payment in three and four guys are having some problems you know they could have had a conversation or whatever but um he would get frustrated when dad wouldn't just do what he said without de- without context, right? Slow down. Why? Right. right. And then when he didn't do it, Jake would get frustrated. And um, like, cause he, every, he was just used to everybody listening to every word he said to do, right? Was that kind of, was that kind of true? Was Jake, um, was Jake that, you know, was that the way the relationship was with dad and Jake? Yeah, because he, he's the one that had all the experience. Yeah. You know, and it's it's hard to beat experience. That's that's why we do it so long. And yeah. the better we go, that we have something for the next team. Yeah. Well, he had something for us. We needed that. I didn't know. Other guys on the team that came, you know, Dave and, and Jeff Prescott and those guys that came out with us. Yeah. We didn't know what we needed. He did. He's been there. Like... When he told us to pick a spring, right, he'd go over and pick a spring and he'd squat on it. He'd put that spring between his legs and kneel down and go, yep, this is the one. <laughs> didn't matter what it was. You don't, don't matter what it is. This is the one. Put yeah. it in the car. Oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I was the doer. Yeah. So when dad didn't listen, which he didn't listen at times, on especially on the racetrack, Jake liked to be able to, you know, remote control the driver. All right, time to push. All right, don't push right now. Okay, back it down a little bit. And all the other drivers, like Kale and Benny, and they all knew when to go and not go. You know, none of them went out there and just ran hard as they hard as they could, like Dad tended to do. Um, did you see Jake get frustrated at times with Dad? Oh yeah. That? Oh yeah. Staying standing there with him, of course. You know, even though he might not say something on the radio, but we could see his we could body see language. the action. He might not have heard it. Yeah. But yeah. And so did they um did Jake and him have conversations at the end of these races about it? Sometimes sometimes they'd have it during the race. Yeah. I have to bring this up because it's Go. a yeah. beautiful quote. And I think it was at Charlotte and Dale kept saying car's pushing the car's pushing i can't get off a four the car's too tight too tight he said dale listen to me he said i can do a lot of things but i can't stop the wind from blowing at turn four that's why your car won't turn yeah he knew it yeah 
and it was just to hear stuff like that you yeah. know it's like okay i got it drive through it right i i think um you know jake was great for the team you guys um that was like the only part of the whole team that was really missing was like that crew chief roland was doing some of that stuff at the start of the year i suppose um we talk about in uh we talk about dave marcus quitting because of the uh you know the team going to two cars and how that was kind of taboo back then drivers didn't like the idea of having a teammate and then dewey live and good was fired which i guess pissed off dave marcus a little bit too yeah um but while all that's happening uh dave buys a couple cars from Austerlin to race the 79 season so the cars i mean even though there was a fallout and disagreement still liked them still liked them enough to buy and sell some cars back and forth and wheel and deal he'd call i guess dave had to call him up and go man you want to sell a car too yeah dave, dave just really didn't realize that that was the model an yes. upcoming model right. why didn't you want to learn from someone else right you know it's this they always say you don't want to be on an island by yourself yeah having a teammate to to roll stuff off that runs the same car why wouldn't you that's yeah. what we do now yeah one of the frustrating things about this whole um series was when we get to um when we get to the bristol race so there's a lot of information that we learned uh that existed and a lot of uh audio of all these races and so you know we know mrn today right and and we think mrn did everything forever um, but there were other, there was another um, publication, or there was another bro, there was another entity or property. It was what was it called? The UR or something? There was another group that was broadcasting a lot of the races in the southeast, and all of that all of that uh, material is now at App State in the archives, and so we f- were able to get a hold of a lot of these uh, races. Uh, in the 79 season that were on that were you know the broadcast radio right uh, rights to it and so um, unfortunately there's not a there's not a lot of video of the Bristol win there's this very short like sort of five minute reel of dad going around crossing the finish line a couple laps at the end of the race and in one little clip of that dad ramps up the wall and I'm thinking, I want to think that this is like in the last handful of laps when he's trying to run away from Daryl. Do you remember? Where he climbed the wall yes. some coming out. Was it out of out four? Out of four. I, I do remember that. What now was you see, that? Now you triggered something. I triggered that. Right. Was that late in the race? Oh, yeah. Damn near wrecked the <laughs> – Damn near didn't Took win. himself out, right? Yeah. But that's – see, that's what Jake had always envisioned. Man, boy, yeah. don't run so hard. Right. Right? You're leading – savor it yeah. well no that's that that wasn't dale's model yeah you know <laughs> that wasn't in his dna <laughs> no um yeah i was watching that clip and i'm like damn it looks like he climbs the wall right there that's so wild and then those cars were tough enough to handle that oh gosh they were tanks right um so you're talk a uh, great story that came out of the show uh is you tearing up your cigarettes and not smoking anymore. You're 19, 18, 19 years old, smoking cigarettes uh, like any kid was at that time. And uh, Winston's told your boy, you told the crew, <laughs> you said, if we win, I'll quit. And right there in the middle of Victory Lane, you tore up your cigarettes and you never smoked since. And to this day, yeah. from that day and that time, I have not had 
a cigarette, period. Another uh, thing that I thought was interesting is right in Victory Lane is where the car got teched. Like, there's pictures mm-hmm. of the roof, the hood up, the car, the engine getting gone through. They didn't even pull it out of Victory Lane. They just put it up on nope. four stands. You and just did, brought your stuff. <laughs> did the tech right there in Victory Lane. Yep. That's hilarious. Where were y'all at when Dad wins Bristol? I was in Nanville. You were there. I was there. I, I was not. Mm-hmm. So there's some pictures that I have um, with you and Danny, and uh, it's from that race. Mm-hmm. So yep. you were there. Yeah, You were not. Where were you at? I was at home. Mm-hmm. Did you want to be there? Well, of course. Well, you certainly didn't know Dad's going to win. But no. Yeah. <laughs> I had a husband and kids, and yep. things just prevented me from on. going. So how do you learn that Dad wins the race? You listen well, to the radio? Well, I was trying to re- – well – if if it was on the radio, I was listening. If it was on TV, I was trying to remember how many races were. not on TV. Were. So, yes, definitely. Probably 103.7. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so you're there. I was there. I had Shelly and Stacy with me. and You had the girls we, with we you. We tailgated and Kelly and, Del, and y'all were there. And I was not there. Y'all were in the infill. In yeah. 1979? No. No. Yeah. All the kids. It seemed like all y'all were there. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I wouldn't. I mean, there's no photos of me there, and I don't remember being there. Well, I just know that there was a bunch of kids, and we were all in charge of the kids in the infield. Yeah. Mom was there, and we had pictures. We made pictures with Daryl Waltrip and Tim Richmond, and we had food out. Where are all these photos? At my house. Kelly's probably got a copy of yeah. them somewhere. Damn. I'll, I'll pull them out and get them to you, but um, yeah. And Mother got to go to Victory Lane. Dale didn't let us come up to Victory Lane until after the tech and all that was over. Then we got to give him a kiss yeah. and a hug. But, yeah, it was, um, you know, it was just a dream come true. It was just so awesome to see him up there and just want a heart. Want, heart was so full for him, Yeah, you know. Do you remember um, one of the pictures that's in his album, our yeah. shared album? Mm-hmm of his trophy and i'm standing beside of him with curly hair <laughs> he brought the trophy to the daycare and yes. showed it to all the kids mm-hmm. and we there's another picture with all the kids around him but he brought it up there to show us the in trophy Kannapolis. in Kannapolis. you you were um you were working at the daycare yeah and that i was i went to that daycare mm-hmm. um and so he brings the trophy to the, to the daycare. He brought it to the daycare. There was another thing mm-hmm. that he did later in the year was like at the Jackson School. What's the school around there? The Jackson, Jackson Park. Jackson Park. He went to Jackson Park. There was like a Dale Earnhardt Day at the second Charlotte race in October. And he was uh, d- doing doing appearances was like a brand new thing for him, yeah. I imagine. Doing anything, you know, where he's being kind of recognized was, had to been like a complete 180 from where he was yeah. just 12 months ago before yeah. that, right? He did an autograph session in downtown at a dealership that year as well, and he had, you know, had quite a line, but it wasn't anything like later yeah. as he got more popular. But he didn't get a chance to go to Disneyland or anything no, like that after, after his win. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. So, do you remember what y'all did? I guess you drove home. Drove on home. There in the articles it says that him and uh, Jake, we're in the car together on the way home, just laughing like kids. Could have been. Yeah, I think uh, then I think we actually called it the Bozo Bus. Oh, yeah, it was a van that we Big all rode. It was passenger. yellow, yellow and blue, and all that. What? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what we rode it. Yeah, that was our bus. Yeah, <laughs> driving to every race. Oh yeah, yeah. That was before we 
unheard yeah. of about airplanes right. or private planes, yeah. right? You might have flew to Ontario, but otherwise. Yeah, those. Yeah. But the everything else, you were in the car. Yeah. Van. So, um, I'm, I know it happened because the cars got there, but it always kind of surprised me that the teams could get to Riverside and Ontario and go out there and race like hell and get everything done and get back home. And it just seems like as the sport was so, the sport was so small back then. I don't know how they tra- how they traveled all over the country like that. Well, commercial, yeah. <laughs> well, commercial, but, right. but, the, but as far as the cars go, even then we had yeah. to have other cars, right? Yeah. We had couldn't go out with one car, so we had spare. Yeah, you know, at the time we were building our own stuff, and you know, I think we were kind of ahead of the time in that era yeah. too, and so we had spares, we had them ready, had to come back, turn the trucks around just like you do now. Oh, and Dale, to get back to Bristol and the celebration that we had in Kannapolis in the shop. Yeah. I think in the previous, <laughs> one of the previous um, episodes, we talked about Dale and Mike bought a, a, got a bottle of champagne and he kept in the refrigerator at the shop. And we all gathered there and I brought you cups. Those are the cups? Those are the cups that um, Connie put in her china cabinet. Mm. So I guess they're 50 years old or That's right wild. there at it and wanted to give those to you. Yeah. Um, There's a picture with Dad sitting there the go- on the go-kart yeah, with the the cup, go-kart. one of the cups mm-hmm. next to him. Yeah. So um, let me ask you about that. Were you there? Mm-hmm. All right. So I got the pictures, have seen those pictures all my life, really didn't know zero context about them until, you know, get a little bit older. And then obviously doing this little series, they, they definitely come into focus and what was happening. But so he has this bottle of champagne. He says he's going to crack the bottle open when he wins his first race. Mm-hmm. Does he, you know, af- when is this the night after the race? No, when is this? it was it was a few weeks. A few it weeks wasn't, later? No, it wasn't. It, w- it, was, it wasn't the night after. It was It was only a few days. Da- it was at least a week or so. It wasn't the night after. It wasn't that week. I Look don't remember it being it, that it, far out. It wasn't that far out, but it wasn't that week uh, yeah. because he was really busy. Did he call? Did he, he call y'all and he say, "Hey, everybody, come we over. all knew he was mm-hmm. coming, so he we said, all, come to the shop. all five of us were there." He said, "Who come else to the was shop. there?" Well, it was me and Mike, and um, all five of us were there. I know kids. the five brothers and sisters. I don't were think there. Terry, Randy's wife, came. I know that Sherry, Danny's my, wife, it, came. My husband was there either, and Mama. I seen Teresa in the picture. Teresa yeah. was there. Uh, Mama, mother, and Connie Goodman and her husband. Of course, Connie's the one that made the pictures. He he actually said, "Call Connie and ask her to come make pictures." And I did. And so this is R- Ralph's shop that mm-hmm. shop dad been racing out of mm-hmm. next to mamaw's house and and running his little sportsman car and, and so it looks dark it looks late yep is it night time yep mm-hmm. did y'all eat nope nope Mm-mm. he just walked in y'all cracked the bottles well we he we all had the trophy kind of out there yep. i swear i really think it was like the next night or something there was a t- uh, pick there was a pool table it yep. was not weeks out i don't that think. that yeah. it wasn't weeks but it well, i don't believe it was that night I mean, the race was Sunday, so it may have been Tuesday, Wednesday. I think it was that night. Well, right. Either way, I mean, it's it doesn't matter. But anyway, Connie said she wished she'd have dated the cups and had him sign them. It would have been yeah. cool. But so there's a pool table sitting there. It I was, don't remember a pool table being in it. It's that always shop. been. It was it always, always there. been there. And that refrigerator was Dad's refrigerator that Sundrops were kept in, yeah. long as I remember. 
And so y'all drink the champagne, then what? I think we just hung out a while and then went home. He got on that that. go-kart and laughed about about Daddy building it and riding on it and how Danny got on it and went up in the hedges when he rode at that time Mm -hmm. because there was a little track out there on the side lot beside the house, and Danny couldn't get it to stop and ended up in the hedges. But, uh, yeah, just goofed around. Yeah. That's the same go-kart that Kelly and I got on you when do. we were little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That thing, I wonder where it's at today. It's somewhere. I have no idea. It's got to be somewhere. Did you end up in the hedges? I ended up driving up a, a guide wire <laughs> on a telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they said they said to mash it wide open, and I'm, yeah. I mashed it wide open. And, Speedway. And it just was going wherever it was going. It's out of control. We need to investigate that, yeah. find out where it is. Well, yeah, it's hiding somewhere. I mean, not Gotta nowhere. Be. I don't think it's anywhere where we're going to find it, but that thing was built like a I tank. There's say, no way it's not still in one. He may know where it's There's at. no way the frame's not still laying somewhere because there's no. There's, it would have been impossible to cut it mm-hmm. out. You can't rust through that? No. Racing season is well underway, and it's time to go full throttle. Feel the excitement of every lap like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet just $5, and they'll get $150 in bonus bets instantly, no matter what goes down on the track. While we can't personally gamble on the race, the Dirty Mode Doe crew loves to bet on the matchups, and DraftKings offers a lot of them. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now with code DALE. New customers can bet $5 and get $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code DALE. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER for state-specific disclaimers. Check the show notes. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. State-specific responsibility gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash terms. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy. And Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? Zip Recruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So the scrapbooks... uh the the 79 scrapbook I redid, the book itself was coming apart and the pages were bad, but I meticulously reconstructed it into a new book, just so you know. Good. Yeah. We I'm saw it. The 1981 is still in the original book. Yeah. Right now. 
But um, yeah, I wanted it to last another 40 years. So. <laughs> um, one of the characters that's kind of prominent in this whole thing is Joe Milliken. And so I've watched a lot of old races, and I remember, you know, I, in my mind, Joe Milliken, you know, raced. Uh, he would re- he worked for the Petties, and the Petties let him take a Dodge to Daytona, and he'd go run the Daytona Arca race or the Daytona Sportsman race in the 70s and do well, you know. Um, outside of that, I didn't really know much about the guy. Uh, I knew everything about his cup career, right? But before that, just the only thing I knew was those races he ran. Um Reading and learning about this, you know, in this document, I realized that he raced short tracks at Caraway and did, had a lot of little local short track background, more of a foundation in driving and racing than I expected or knew. Uh, he gets the opportunity to race the DeWitt car. My perception of that team is it's not a really strong team. A lot of people have left that team in, after 78 when Benny left to go with MC Anderson. The team got didn't get better, right? Um, they lost engine builder and a, co- and a crew chief and a driver. And so, um, and the, the owner, LG DeWitt, is sort of now, um, you know, sort of backing out of the sport in a way um, and not quite 100% dedicated or sure about his ownership of a car. He's got the racetracks, Rockingham, and a couple of speedways he's got to take care of. And... The one thing I will say about that car is, you know, Benny Parsons wins the championship in 73, and every year after that, that car was probably the most dependable car in the circuit. You know, it didn't run as strong as uh, Junior's cars and, and the Wood Brothers, but he outlasted a lot of them most often, and they always got really, really good results, and that's actually how they won the championship in 73, was just they never broke. And this was basically the story of Milliken. You know, he would run 5th, 10th every week. Um, you know, when Dad was in the races, Dad could, you know, usually outrun him or, or show more speed. But uh, if Dad didn't crash or, or break his collarbones and miss races and all those things, you know, Joe Milliken was always going to run in the top 10 or, or somewhere around there. Uh, as this season's going, Dad talks about it in the articles that the Rookie of the Year is, a, is important to him. Does the team care about the Rookie of the Year? Is it? Are you getting the idea that it's important to Dad? Is that something that y'all are working toward every week? Uh, are you watching it in the in the Winston Cup scene or the Grand National scene? Are you looking at the oh, score? Yeah. yeah, every week. Yeah. I mean, when, when you think back to 78, the only reason we ran only five races in Good 78 yep. was so he was still eligible for Rookie of the Year in 79. And – you know, that was always big. Everybody, that was always everybody's focus, you know, yeah. for the longest time. Uh, yeah, of obvious. And so when the season begins, do, do y'all handicap? Like, you know, you got Gant, Labani. I mean, I don't know if you took Gant seriously or took Labani seriously because we don't know Terry Labani that we, you know, we're looking at this through a different lens, right? Right now we're looking at through 2024 lens. Terry Labani's a two-time champion and damn hall of famer but in 1979 he's some guy from texas just another car just another car right you have no clue that he's going to have any any kind of the career that he ends up having but i guess the one car that you do know about and you do have a history with and understanding with is the 72 maybe not you specifically because you're so young and coming into this whole deal but 
the season gets going 10, 12 races into the year, Milliken's hanging around. Um, did y'all and dad and him seem to get along okay? Did y'all, um, were there any unique moments, I guess, with, with the Milliken team that stand out or any kind of memories of, of, of that battle between y'all two throughout the, throughout the year? No, I don't think it was a very bad battle. I mean, I don't yeah. remember anything, any fights or no. any confrontations. You know, it was a little different back in. Yeah. You know, we were all new, so we're not going to go start a fight. Yeah. But, you know, he was competitive, though. I, yeah. we, we all realized that. And if we had to make sure we did our jobs right, you know, I was a tire changer and, you know, I had to go through the motions and we had to do our stuff right. Otherwise, we could lose it just as easy as he could making a mistake on the track. Right. Yeah, that was um. I what you know when I've got this giant scrapbook of of photos, and I've sort of cat you know I've sort of divided them all down to where they go. All right, and I have one specific uh, collection of all seventy nine eighty, and for the longest time I couldn't tell you which one would be eighty and which you know if you to- if you pulled a picture out of there and said all right is this eighty or 79 it'd take me a few minutes to really look into the details of it and go yeah i think that you know that that must be this race right um but most of them are one or the other and i couldn't tell you the the between them now after doing this i can tell you know i can look at a a picture of a car on the racetrack dad's car and say yep that's rockingham second race yep that's that's riverside where the fender fell off or you know (laughs) Um, the Nashville sec- the sec- where he tore it off inside the truck right <laughs> so um, I uh, I as I'm reading you know as I'm learning all this I will say um, you know sometimes dad got swept up in some stuff that was none of his doing the Rockingham race like the second race after Daytona where the, the Kale and Donnie get in another wreck and they spin in front of the field and dad t-bones Donnie and everybody gets wrecked right Kale Richard's mad Daryl's mad everybody's out of the race and tore up um there was some races like that in in the season where dad just kind of found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time but there were some other races where um yeah he just was hard on equipment um like martinsville yeah mm-hmm. like yeah hitting the curb yeah taking out half taking, the field yeah three wide on richard petty the king <laughs> at the start at the start into turn one you've got those pictures yeah <laughs> and so you know i there's it's just funny to me because again looking at look, look looking at it we don't ever ever we don't ever talk about dad being flawed uh because in our eyes he was this crazy seven-time champion that was great at everything and just incredible but in 1979 dude was flawed he made so he made mistakes right almost every race there was a moment where he screwed up something or did something he shouldn't have done stuff he you know he wouldn't do five or ten years later down the road but 79 is his rookie year you know he's gonna do his rookie things um it when he you know when he gets out of the car after a martinsville for example right um he t-bones richard in turn one and crashes a bunch of cars out and i'm surprised like harry gant gets out and goes yeah dale turned richard and this and that and happened he's not even that mad about it he should be really mad. Should be furious yeah <laughs> he should be furious at dad 
Um, they said that Richard got out of the car at the end of the race and stuck his finger in Dad's chest and was like, don't you ever do that again. You'd better than that, right? Um, do you remember those moments when Dad gets out of the car after a race where he might have not made uh, everybody right, happy? He might not have made everybody happy, but he also might have, you know, he made mistakes, right? Does he get out and there's pictures of him, right, sulking or, or head hanging, head hanging, sitting at the back of the holler, like, damn, that, that didn't go well, you know? Do you remember those moments? Well, I mean, yeah, of course. We, we, us as a group, we're all a team. You know, we're afraid of what's going to happen, right? We we know these guys are going to be mad. They're not happy. <laughs> I mean, it, it can't make everybody happy, but also I think people understood that because he was a rookie. Yeah. That's what rookies do. You learn. Yeah. And if he did it two or three more times, like someone in the past years that did – a whole pattern of wrecking people and then you know then you get that oh my gosh you know is he ever going to learn yeah but he learned we all learn yeah when he's going i guess for the sisters as he's going through this year and he's making you know you're wanting this to work you're wanting this to you want dad to have the success and this be his career um and these races, you know, obviously you're not able to watch races on TV like we are today, so you can't see detail, right? You just hear what the radio tells you. Um, and so, uh, you know, but is there's there's some – he obviously would go into 1980 and he wins a championship, but 1979 was rookie of the year champion, but he also, you know, had a lot of uh, struggles, not you know, even aside from the injury. You know, are you guys, uh, you know, do y'all get a chance to be around dad or spend much time around him during that year and get his sort of. Not a lot, but yeah. I well, know. First of all, I'm an Earnhardt. And this is hard, but Kay was right. The toast was Monday night after the Sunday race. <laughs> there you go. I figured it was. It was. I, that's so hard because I was wrong. She was right. Well, I knew it wouldn't have been weeks. That's I just hard. in my Connie mind her pictures and I asked in her. My she mind, said it was I knew night. it was right after. He did it right at after. some point. Anyway, what so. was? Do y'all remember what Dad's temperament was when you were? Um, so y'all are around him in little chunks, right? You're little gone, chunks. They'll be yeah. There'll be a month where you won't see him, and then bam, you're together. Honestly, Dale invited Mike and I. He and when he was hurt, Dale invited Mike and I over to dinner at Teresa's apartment. Uh, he had his brace on. You know, he was upbeat. I mean, Dale was always bigger than life, even when, you know, he never thought he would fail. Dale always was a winner mm -hmm. in, his, in his mind, in his actions, in his personality. You know, he came at Thanksgiving. He always brought y'all on Christmas. I mean, we were just a family then. We really never talked racing. If he talked racing, it was with the men. If they walked out of out of the house mm -hmm. or in the shop or something but when he was around family he was always upbeat he never ever really showed the pressure well i know um and this has to be when he was hurt too he had the lake house didn't and he we all so, went out there because fishing. we were all up there mm -hmm. and yeah. all the kids laying on the dock there was mm -hmm. a picture of them laying on the dock so yes he invited us all up as a family and so that was one thing i learned just here and there that was a neat thing that i learned so um in one of the articles that he writes i'm assuming i'm just assuming right i don't know that he's writing this article with whitlock 
Uh-huh. I have no he idea. He has to. He's ha- he's not writing it by himself. So he's doing. Somebody says, Whitlock. "Hey, yeah." Somebody has says, "Hey, you should do these uh, bi-monthly articles," and Whitlock. he's like, "All right." So it must have been Whitlock. And so he um, talks about in one of those um, articles while he was broke, while he's out with the, you know six weeks with the collarbone issue. He moves into the house. Mm-hmm. So you remember him being over at Teresa's apartment in Charlotte mm-hmm. with That's the collarbone. Before bones. he had the house. So like literally a week or two later, yeah, he's got he the, house. the house. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which is still, in, they still own it. It's down there in Mooresville. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the house we ended up moving in, uh, in 81, 82. Um, and I remember, uh, 1981, this old YouTube video, you can find it on YouTube, one tough customer where you're, uh, pulling dad on a tube mm-hmm. well, on Del- the lake out from that house. He would have gatherings with the yeah, crew at the lake, all the parties, mm-hmm. yeah. even after the races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, being able to really get timeline of things, right? Mm-hmm. Hearing dad, well, I knew he bought the house, but I didn't know when. And I damn sure hadn't heard a word about his feelings on it. And so when he's talking in the articles, like, man, I love it. It smells great. It's new. It's awesome. I love this house. I got well, a lot Well, I things. never do that either. Right. Because he never talked he about never it. Talked right. About it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he brought Rod Osterlin, um, mother. We cooked a meal at mother's house, and Rod. They brought Rod for dinner up there. Really? In 79, that first year. Wow. And, you know, you think about someone with Rod's kind of money and Mm -hmm. prestige that would be able to own a race team. You know, again, we're just from small-town Kannapolis and never been anywhere or in that kind of of world. Yeah. uh, That you would expect him to be different but rod walks in the house in blue jeans and a regular shirt and you know talks just like a regular person yeah. fit in ate mashed potatoes with the rest of us and was just a wonderful man uh, we just had the best time that night i have a picture of of that night as well but. yeah well that's one of the people that's one of the characters that we really didn't get to to hear mm-hmm. from uh and and he played such a prominent role in yeah. this whole thing so he did seem very calm and quiet and mm-hmm. you know well spoken what was rod like for a boss you know we didn't really i mean let me try to remember <laughs> right my boss was more rolling yeah you know Roland had to answer to rod but most of my dealings with was with Roland all the time but when rod came around i mean you know we all met rod because his daughter went to high school with us yeah you know so it was we kind of started knowing each other even when way we before were out the thing, there yeah way before the racing yeah and then with 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 uh roland working for rod and some of his projects and then us running at san jose speedway knowing lana the daughter and then finally when they start talking about merging well we merged with it and you know it's just kind of a a fit right yeah I mean, I remember traveling in the motorhome with them down to Daytona one time and different things. It wasn't my motorhome. It was his, but um, just stuff like that. I mean, yeah. He was a good guy. He seemed like it. I mean, Very he nice gave man. me my start. Mm-hmm. But one thing I don't think any of us really thought about because it wasn't our world was he was a businessman and had to make those kind of decisions Yeah, as a businessman. And so that affects a lot of people's world as we all know from history the part we don't always understand the part we never understand yeah
Hey everybody, Dale Jr. here. Let's take a minute to talk about Chevrolet. As you know, the Earnhardt family is a Chevy family. I own a Chevrolet dealership that I'm very proud of, and there's sure to be a Chevy dealership near you. So do me a favor. Before you buy your next new or pre-owned vehicle, check out Chevrolet's lineup of durable, innovative, award-winning, performance-focused models. You'll be glad you did, and we'd be honored to have you in the Team Chevy family. One great option you should check out is Chevy's factory-lifted trucks. These lifted trucks help you tackle the trails. The first-ever Silverado ZR2 Bison offers the extreme performance and capability you need to make easy work out of the most difficult terrain. Featuring a 13-inch touchscreen display, the versatile multi-flex tailgate, 33-inch mud terrain tires, and Multimatic DSSV dampers, this truck allows you to stay connected while taking adventure to a whole new level. Dare to be different with the first ever Silverado ZR2 Bison. Chevy, find new roads. O'Reilly Auto Parts, man, they are in the business of keeping your car on the road. They offer friendly and helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. You know the jingle? Oh, yeah. We're going to do the jingle at the end of this. Nice. I all can't right? wait for it. Yeah. So listen. Listen to the end. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock either in store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find just the right battery for your car. Need your windshield wipers replaced? A brake light fixed or a quick service, they'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, they're friendly. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto. Do it yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by. O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com. That's O'ReillyAuto.com. O'Reilly's Auto Parts. Ow! (laughs) (laughs) You better put that in there. All right, so um, let's let's move on to to Dad's injury, right? So um, in the episodes, uh, we hear about y'all's uh experience uh learning about that and and you know wondering if that was okay and learning that he's okay and he's got these injuries so all my life i thought you know he wrecks at pocono and breaks two collarbones right uh digging into the articles and reading all about other things it's it's more than that he broke he hurt his jaw mm-hmm. uh he was you know eating uh foods through uh, intravenously for a week or something. Uh, these are in these articles, right? Um, there mm-hmm. was the helmet was was scuffed, and that he was dealing with a concussion. Uh, that they kept him in the hospital for a week. It took him a whole week before they released him from the Pennsylvania hospital. Um, so the injury in the crash was a whole lot more significant. He may have been there a few days, but I know Mother and Randy went yes. to Pennsylvania, and he checked himself, himself out. out. That part, too, doesn't make any sense before to me. Before that he happened. Got home. Why would y'all— Before they got there. What my first reaction to that is, did they not call Dad and say we're coming up there? 
Well, you didn't have cell phones for one thing. I, well, you had a rotary. <laughs> True. All I know is mother was hell-bent on going. Randy said, if you want to go, I'll take you. They went. So they drive up there, and then while yeah. they're driving up there, Dad's checking himself out and flew home. And got on yeah. a commercial and, plane. And that may have been a few days. It could have been a week. <laughs> it was a week. I, I just the, remember that hearing about how horrendous pain he was in on an airplane, a commercial plane, flying home. Yeah. But he was hell-bent on coming home. Yeah. Well, they checked him out, and he goes home. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of articles that really detail uh, the the car, the damage to the car, the helmet, the window net was was busted, and uh, dad's own injuries and doctors and all these things. And there was a hole in the net. Yeah, where it scraped the wall, right? Where it scraped the wall. Yeah, where the helmet and the wall, the hole, yeah. So it must have been this really very brief, like, bam, bam, quick like I mean, obviously, if he's if he crashes, and he makes contact with his helmet to the wall, in most cases, that's going to be a near fatal injury, right? I mean that that's Absolutely. that's a bad deal. But it must have been this very very brief uh, contact with the wall that his helmet makes. And and when I've actually got some pictures of the car um, sliding down the racetrack after it made contact with the wall. I'd never seen a picture of the car post the crash. It's not up close. It's blurry. It's bad. There's no pictures of the car in the garage after the race. There's no way to look at this thing. There's no way to really know, like, okay, what hit first? How did it hit? Where did it hit? You hear its driver's side. You know, you're, you're just piecing together a very, very limited piece of information. If I remember right, it was really from going into the corner. Pocono is fairly flat. Yeah. And it was back at the tunnel. Uh, at the tunnel turn which is flat and he went in and got loose and it just slapped the wall driver's side right and at that time technology i mean you know he had those van seats in the yes in the car no side no left side no head no head support nothing no nothing on the left side of the seat nothing yeah so you slide right never anticipated hitting the wall on the left side no all right you thought you're always gonna hit with the right yeah um so Looking at this image of the car after it's made contact with the wall, there's very little damage. The backs, the tail, you know, the back is fine. The 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 deck lid's good. There's no wrinkle bend there. The hood's fine. There's no big bend or wrinkle in the hood. The left front, the front's not knocked over. It must have been just a real flat, flat. pop. And uh, what's I can't understand is how do you break your collarbones? I mean, he must have had them damn things so damn tight. I know he was pretty bad about tightening his seatbelts up to a ridiculous amount. Well, I think I think the biggest thing that what happened in that case was there was no support on the left, yeah. and he just was able to move so much further. Yeah. Well, your neck's going to stretch. That was before neck restraints yeah. and headrests, and, and all he had was his bubble goggles and his helmet. Yeah. Right. Well, that weight of that helmet just wink, yeah. snap. Yeah. And the sad part for us was, yeah, it rained it out, so they had it on Monday. I was on my way home from work, listening on the radio, went to commercial, came back from commercial, and he had wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. They don't tell you how bad it is. No. Well, they can't. Well, you can't. Yeah, they don't know. They don't even know. And I Um, think part of the part of the thing with mother was she couldn't get any information. Every time she'd ask, "Well, how's Dale?" You know, you'd call, "Oh, he's fine. He's fine." Yeah. Oh, he's fine. And after a day or two, maybe of that, she thought, "I'm tired of this crap. I'm right. going." I wonder. He never, like, how he doesn't get on the phone. 
don't from know wherever he's at. That part I do not so remember. Weird. Yeah. You know that. that <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, if I'm dad, world. Yeah, I don't. If I'm dad and I'm sitting in a hotel room for at least at the minimum three days, I mean, by if we go by the articles and multi- hospital room, I'm just saying if we go by the uh, if we go by the articles in multiple instances, it tells us he was in this hospital for mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. If I'm sitting in there in the hospital room, I'm calling somebody. <laughs> at some point, right? Yeah. And you know, Teresa knows where he's at. She's right there. She's sitting right there. Right. And answering so, the phone. Yeah. But I mean, she can call people. Surely there's somebody got to call. I Someone don't had to be communicating. I know. Them. I don't understand how Mamma and Randy drive all the way up there and dad doesn't know they're coming and that they, and dad in, you know, inadvertently leaves because he gets checked out. And goes home, mm-hmm. and Mrs. and Dad and Randy and Mamma will get up there, and they're like, "Where's he? Come at? on, let's he's go." Gone. Happened. He's gone. Oh, he's gone. That's strange. And there's nobody yeah, else sure that can that's really just verify a comical, that. That's comical. That's uh, comical part yeah, of the whole thing, yeah. I guess. Anybody that knows Dale, as soon as they give him a word, he's <laughs> yeah. As soon as they give him, oh, a, yeah. As soon as they crack the door, he's leaving. <laughs> Which says a lot about the entries because he was there as long as he was, right? You know, he's going to leave at the first oh, yeah. opportunity. He mm-hmm. had to be feeling it. Yeah, he must have. Um, he comes back, and one of my favorite things to talk about in 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 old racing, I I don't know if the drivers are I don't know if the young drivers today are as wowed by this as I think they are. But one of my favorite things to talk about is the relief driver situation back in the seventies <laughs> and eighties. Pretty much every damn week, somebody got some relief, and as we'll learn in these articles, sometimes the drivers get back in. Rich Petty would get out for 100 laps and then climb back in, right? <laughs> All right, I feel better. And so we go to Richmond. Dad sits on the pole, first race back, and Lenny Pond falls out of the race. They put Lenny Pond in the car. You guys did. Great idea because Lenny Pond and Richmond, are that's like his best track. He goes out there and finishes top five, scores some rookie points for Dad. Then you go to Dover, which is probably not a great track with broken collarbones or collarbones that are healing um and i called bill elliott and i said hey i said you relief drove for dad at dover and i was like you know you're not on the entry blank you didn't you didn't race you didn't qualify uh how did you get there why were you there i know he raced some races for roger hamby in the 17 roger was in the race so i thought maybe he just went along with roger and was just standing around well he said that jake called him midweek and was like hey can you go? Just be, just go to be there. If we need somebody. Just in case. Yep. And so I, I thought, wow, okay. Um, so Bill goes up there. They're running, running along in the middle of this race, and Dad spins out and doesn't hit anything. And then just a dozen laps or a couple dozen laps later, he spins out again. And I think after the second spin, he's talking about being tired. And Jake's like, come on in. Get out. And so he gets out, and Bill Elliott gets in, and then a hundred with a hundred laps to go because they ran five hundred laps at Dover back then. It's like a long race. Dad gets back in. I just think that's so funny that um, they're like y'all are like eight, ten laps down, running in eighth or tenth, and Dad's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'm good. I'm gonna get back in there." Like once you get out, you just think you'd just stay out. Yeah, there was no reason to get yeah, back in. I know, He right? got the points there's for no, starting. There's no point to get back in. Right? That was the only reason he started. Just, uh, it's just interesting to me. But 
That's Dale. That's Dale. I but you would think Jake would be. You would think finally now he's in the pits like you were with Jake, and yeah. Jake <laughs> would be like, "Yeah, no, you're not going in." What's yeah. he doing? What's he saying about the car? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but he ends up, uh, you know, coming back and finishing out the year pretty good, pretty decent. So called back into the rookie of the year battle, which, you know, Milliken led multiple times throughout the year, but he climbs back in. It's the best 15 finishes, and he put together uh, enough points and with the win at Bristol to rightly win the rookie of the year. Yeah, so that's it. I mean, I think, you know, thank, I want to thank UK for having the idea to even create those scrapbooks in the I'm first place. I'm glad I did. I'm, I'm, much, I'm very thankful. I was thankful first that you thought enough to give them to me. Um, you know, well, you y'all you were making plans to come to mom's yeah. to see um, to see what you may want to take home. Yeah, and I got to thinking about them, and I thought they're just laying under my bed. I knew how enthusiastic and passionate you were about it, and I thought, well, he may appreciate them if he doesn't want them. He can give them back to me. Yeah. And we are the seniors in the family, so we're depending on you to be the person that keeps the stories keeps going. Keeps the stories going and talks to the babies and tells them about our brothers yeah. and our family. So that scrapbook is there for a reason. Yeah. But I, I also heard you talking earlier about scrapbooks and you know what was inside those scrapbooks and all that. Well, this was the the rookie of the year that we've all been documenting, right? Yeah. So. What else could I not do but to have <laughs> that shirt? That looks like a damn an original. That is an original. In the, path, in the wrapper. Has that. not been opened. Bull crap. Dale, here you go. Man. Uh, it's like, what Dude. more appropriate thing? We've been talking about this now. What do you, how do you have this? <laughs> how do you still have this sitting here unopened? Have you haven't been to my house yet? Uh-uh. I have everything. Have you ever been to his house? <laughs> so, um, this shirt is is kind of the holy grail of of vintage racing shirts in in, in NASCAR at least. Um, <clears throat> and in the bag. Yeah, in the bag. Good lord. Um, one of these things in the on a hanger is going for a hundred hundred fifty dollars. So I can't believe wow. we have one still in the bag. I bet it's the only one left. Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Might even have another one. Oh sh! <laughs> oh my god. Takes two. Yeah. Don't you have two girls? I do. Well, yeah. wait a minute. Those could be the two girls that carry on the rookie of the year. Yeah, yeah. that would be sweet. <laughs> Number two. All right. Damn, dude. That's pretty incredible. You know, that's, I, I, I tell you, oh, man. that was because, you know, I got them for my mom. Yeah. You know, we always finished up in Ontario. We won the championship there. I'd always get my mom stuff, yeah. right? They were the biggest fans. And I, she had the scrapbooks of all the San Jose paper articles and all that stuff. I, I wish I would have dug those out. They're probably somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, I always got, she always wanted stuff. So I would take the truck home. To, and I park it in front of the whole house. Take the whole house. The whole hauler thing. Yeah, yeah. The whole rig. The, yeah, yeah. And I'd bring her home. My dad even rode home with me one time. It was like that was cool. Those are I, my family things. They were really into the racing. They loved Dale and yeah, they had them. Well, I appreciate that, man. That's pretty amazing. Um, I will make sure that these are 
probably just going to stay just like they are. Um, been in that bag a long yeah, time. Yeah, they have. I want to leave them in that bag. <laughs> But thank y'all for spending some time with us. I want to thank y'all from all the listeners for giving us your time to help make this series what it is. Uh, you guys bring a lot of great insight and information into um, that season and make it kind of jump off the page, if you will. And when we start leaning into the next installment of Becoming Our Heart, the 1980 year, we will need you to come back and we will. <laughs> we may study a little bit before that. You're you right. guys go ahead. <laughs> Y'all yeah. go ahead and go home and start thinking and getting your notes together. And we're going to all get together in a big, big room full of full, uh, big table and and come and put put together a show that'll that'll be even better than this one. Maybe we could spark some more stories. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'm certain we will. Um, now that we have a blueprint and an understanding of what we're trying to do, I think 1980 could be even, you know, be much, much better. So thank y'all. And, uh, until then, till I see you again. Thanks, Dale. Enjoy. Thank you guys. Thank Thank you. you. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property, it's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, a home, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. As awesome as it is to be able to talk to Doug, Kathy, and Kay, um, you know, as we wrap up the uh, last show, or last episode of Becoming Our Heart, I kind of wanted to touch on some of the key people that were part of this storyline Rod Osterlin uh, the car owner for dad you know we we know they win the rookie of the year in 79 and the championship in 1980 Rod would actually go on in the middle of the 81 season and sell his team to, to, a, to a man named J.D. Stacy. pretty uh, sketchy character this J.D. Stacy, as we talked about him in some of the podcasts over the years but either way, uh, Rod would leave NASCAR, but then re-enter the sport with Hus Strickland in 1989 and Jimmy Spencer in 1990. If you remember the Heinz number 57 Pontiac, yeah, that was Rod's car. As far as we know, uh, Rod is still alive in Southern California. Now, Roland Vladka, who was the business manager uh, for the team, would continue to work in the sport with drivers like Buddy Baker and Rodney Combs and Hutt Strickland even uh, worked around the truck series. Even uh, briefly worked with Kevin Harvick. Roland was well respected by Dad as far as I could tell. And I thought he, you know, considering what they accomplished in such a brief brief period of time in 79 and 80 with a new team, Roland must have done a great job. Roland unfortunately passed away at the age of 81 in 2020. But it's been fun sort of getting to know more about him in this series. Jake Elder, uh, also known as Suitcase Jake, 
Not going to talk about him much right here. You know why? Because he's going to be a big part of our next season of Becoming Earnhardt, the 1980 season. Yes, uh, we, we want to do the 1980 year, and uh, I have that scrapbook ready to go. And uh, so we'll get into that maybe in the next installment of Becoming Earnhardt. What happens to suitcase Jake Elder and the racing team? Um, we do know that far beyond the 1980 season, he worked for Robert Yates and uh, was actually fired by Robert Yates and replaced by Larry McReynolds. And um, he passed away in 2010 after some, some health issues he dealt with. Doug Reichert, who was here uh, for the round table, uh, continued to crew chief in the sport for a long time, winning races as recently with uh, Greg Biffle at Roush. And he continues to seek out opportunities to, to work in the sport, still feels like he has something to offer. He's also an incredibly good handyman, carpenter. If you need something made, built, he can do it. One of the things I think we talked about, maybe you don't recall or maybe you missed, Doug showed me a copy of his wedding certificate and dad had signed that as a witness dad was his best man also in doug's wedding so they were really close even after doug and dad split up uh, beyond the 1981 season doug would go to work at junior johnson's with Darrell waltrip's mountain dew car and so forth but they remained close enough friends that dad was his best man during the wedding in the mid 80s uh you know we talked about the end of the petty pearson era where you know those two had ran nose to nose, tooth and nail, so many first and second place finishes between Pearson and Petty, all of that came to an end in the 1979 season. That to me, kind of that 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 story, I know it, you know it, we've heard it many many times. But reading through it and living sort of living through it, I say, it really hurt uh, hit me uh, on a personal level how I never thought about it like that. You know, you've got these two incredible professionals, no matter what sport, battling each other in so many great matches, and finally it has to end, right? You never love to see it when your heroes, you know, have to hang up the helmet. But not that Pearson was retiring, but that rivalry that had been so good for NASCAR uh, was over. David Pearson would continue to race you know, with very, very limited success after that. He won a few more races and then eventually um, decided to hang it up for good, driving, you know, he's at the end of his career, he's driving cars that really just couldn't get the job done. Uh, this was, though, the beginning of the Daryl Waltrip and Dale Earnhardt era. And Daryl says as much during the show multiple times. Man, it looks like I'm going to have to be racing this Earnhardt guy for the rest of my career. And man, they would. It would really come to a head around the you know 1986 season uh, when Dad and Daryl would wreck at Richmond in a in a massive crash that uh, would give Kyle Petty his first Cup win. I have the car that Daryl crashed in that in that wreck in the in the race car graveyard. Dad and Daryl would account for six championships throughout the 1980s. Uh, the rookie class obviously goes on to be incredible, except Joe Milliken. You know, we'll talk about Joe Milliken a little bit in the next episode of Becoming Our Heart, or the next season of Becoming Our Heart for 1980. But he gets he gets a few part-time rods, one with Ray Mock 
1981. He eventually gets a ride in the car that would become Rick Hendrick's number five car. Uh, that team would, would end up getting sold to Rick. Uh, he makes some sporadic starts, though, all the way up until uh, 1987 when he was out of cup altogether. He never had really another full year of competition from 81 on where he was in the same car throughout the year in a steady ride. Um, he returned to the late model ranks uh, back at Caraway in some of the weekly race tracks. He had a scary crash at Caraway in the 90s. And then went on to work for race teams, driving transporters and doing things like that for teams like Roush actually was involved in a transporter crash in the 2010s with Roush. Um, and he's still out there uh, roaming around. We tried really hard to get Joe to come sit down and talk to us or just be able to really pick his brain a little bit about this series, but it was really difficult to make that work. But we are so thankful for his career and his effort and battle through the 1979 season. Terry Labonte, we know, is going to go on and win championships as, as recent as 1984. I mean, literally five years removed from this season, Terry's a champion. Harry Gant wins a ton of races, obviously becoming a household name. And also, I think it's a little fascinating to me how much the Rookie of the Year deal mattered. Yes, of course, we're embellishing it, we're blowing it up, we're making it a big deal in the show, but it really was that big of a deal back then. The Rookie of the Year battle was something people were so excited about because this really was where there was such a small group of veterans, you know, capable of winning every week, half a dozen, maybe 10 cars at times. But there were really a half a dozen good winning cars on the racetrack, and those rookies were exciting. That rookie of the year battle was, you know, was always compelling. We lost a little bit of it, uh, its identity over the years, but every once in a while we get a really good crop of rookies that fires up the excitement in that rookie of the year battle. Obviously, uh, we talk about J.D. Stacy Now, one of the stories that got cut from the show is about J.D. Stacy. He owned the car that Neil Bonnet drove in the late 70s, and they got in a dispute with crew chief Harry Hyde, and Harry says, we're parking these cars. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not taking them to the racetrack anymore. J.D. Stacy would go over to Rod Osterlin in 1978. Dave Marcus is Rod's driver. Dad's not there yet. J.D. and Rod would cut a deal to where Rod Osterlin would put cars on the racetrack that Neil Bonnet would race to be able to finish the 1978 year. That really ticked off Dave Marcus. When Dave Marcus quit, it was as much about the next year trying to share a ride with Dale, with my dad, it was as much as frustration over that, the firing of Dewey live and good, and also in 78, he's, he's having this great year, they're running well, and all of a sudden now they're going to start preparing cars for J.D. Stacy and Neil Bonnet? Well, that wasn't in the plan. J.D. Stacy eventually resolves his conflict with Harry Hyde, but in the offseason that year, J.D. Stacy works in the coal business, in the offseason that year, J.D. Stacy's limo was parked in the parking lot of a Concord hotel. Police found a bomb underneath that car. Rigged to explode as soon as the car backed out of its parking spot. 
and they happen to be just walking by this car. They weren't even like looking for this, right? They see the car and they're just like, oh, look, that's a nice limousine. What is that strapped to the bottom of the thing? They get in there and inspect it. They don't know whose it is, whose car it is. Um, J.D. Stacy would say this is the second attempt on his life uh, at that point in time. J.D. Stacy would lurk in the shadows, if you will, of the NASCAR circuit through 79 and 80. And then in 1981 and 1982, he would buy Rod Osterlin Racing. Dad, obviously getting all this information from Neil Bonnet, says, yeah, I don't need to drive for this guy. I'm quitting. He would quit in two weeks and go drive for Richard Childers. Mid-season in 81. J.D. Stacy will go to the racetrack and start paying everybody all kinds of money just to put J.D. Stacy on the side of his car. There's like seven or eight cars out on the racetrack with J.D. Stacy on the side. And eventually, check starts bouncing. People aren't getting paid, and J.D. JD Stacy just disappears. Quite an interesting character. Another great story that got cut from the uh, 79 show was Kel Yarborough uh, appearing on the Dukes of Hazard. Now, this is something that I uh, was a little bit confused by because I recall when I was a kid, I believe it was in the 1984 year, I remember Kel Yarborough being on that show. And I remember it was right after he had won the Daytona 500 in the Hardy's car, and they actually used a little bit of the clip clip of him winning or the in-car camera footage or whatever in the, sh- in the Dukes of Hazzard show. Now, I don't know if Kel's been on the show twice or what, but in 1979, in articles, Kel talks about how he's so nervous because he's got to go to Hollywood to shoot an episode of the Dukes of Hazzard. So maybe Kel Yarborough was on there twice. He eventually went to Hollywood, shot his episode in the middle of the 1979 year, and then during one of the final races of the season, the episode ran on like a Friday or Saturday night. And imagine, all of the industry probably tuned in. There's probably only like three stations on the television. They tune in to watch Kale on Dukes of Hazard do a terrible job of acting, even trying to play himself, and then go to the racetrack the next morning and give him a hard time for it. You know that happened. NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history, with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display. On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. We also have an interesting thing that we kind of missed. Now, I've got this picture, so I apologize for, for letting this slip. David Pearson drove Dad's car in relief for Dad while he was injured 
they go to Bristol, and I made a big deal. Like, man, David Pearson racing at Bristol. He hasn't raced here in a long time. Yeah, and he was older and running a limited schedule. Why would he run this race? It's definitely going to wear him out. Well, he did get worn out. He got relief driving from Lenny Pond. Lenny was popular for a relief driver back then, but Lenny gets in the car. We've I've got pictures of this on my phone, and it, I just missed it. It should have made the show, but pretty cool to know that, you know, Lenny was climbing in everybody's cars back then when they needed help. So during this show, you and I learned more about Dad's crash at Pocono and the injuries he dealt with than I even knew, right? I thought it was broken collarbones. It was much more than that. Well, let me read you an article from the Winston-Salem Journal on August 3rd, 1979. This is a Friday. Rookie Earnhardt out for at least a month. Dale Earnhardt will be transferred Sunday to a Charlotte hospital from the East Strasburg, Pennsylvania hospital where he's currently in the intensive care unit recovering from injuries from Monday's Pocono 500. Earnhardt, the hottest rookie on the Grand National Tour in several years, has several bruised, several bruises and one broken collarbone, one cracked collarbone, an injured jaw, and a concussion. I didn't know about the jaw. And he is expected to be out of action, at least until the Capital City 400 at Richmond. Wow, they had some foreshadowing there. And according to Jake Elder, the team's crew chief, because of his jaw injury, Earnhardt is being fed intravenously. Dang. So busted his jaw. I guess he's got his jaw sewn shut and he's getting fed through a tube. Is that what I'm reading? Sounds like it. Uh, But depending on relief driver David Pearson's showing here Sunday... And the talks next week between team manager Roland Vlaka and Pearson of Spartanburg, South Carolina, the veteran will likely drive the team's cars at Michigan, Bristol, and Darlington, and perhaps Dover. So Elder says, I went over and saw Dale Monday night. His neck and shoulders were all swelled up, and he could only lift his hands just a little. The first thing he said was, I hit hard. I said, no kidding. And then he asked me, when can I drive my next race? Elder didn't have the heart to tell him not for quite a while. This is another neat little tidbit. Bruton Smith, that's Marcus's dad, who's been on the podcast many times, and the owner of Charlotte Motor Speedway, sent his personal plane to Pocono to bring dad back. That's from Elder's mouth now. Our, you know, the sisters said that dad got a commercial plane home. So we really don't know. We could ask Marcus, I guess. But Elder is telling this article that Bruton Smith is sending his personal plane to bring Dad back from Pocono, and Dad will probably check into a hospital for a couple days and let the doctors run some more tests. Daryl saw the crash, and he said the tire exploded into a million pieces, and the wreck smashed the driver's seat all to pieces and tore the steering wheel clear around, and it smashed the roll bars almost clean metal-to-metal flat. Now, I don't want Dale to come back too quick or come back too soon, but I do want him to get back in the car as soon as he can, like getting back on a horse that's thrown you. I know he's going to miss four races. Heck, you can't even run Bristol when you're actually well. That place will really get you to your neck. And Darlington, Dover's, those are where, where you plumb out. I figure he ought to be ready to run Richmond if he's able. NASCAR Grand National Competition Director Ray Hill conceded, there's a possibility his head brushed the wall. Based on the crew's review of the accident, a hole was torn in the car's safety window net by the impact, which Doug Reichert, the crew chief, uh, backed up earlier in this show. Elder said that Earnhardt has been complaining of pain in the back of his head. 
So there you go. That that's just some more information. You know, I mean, you know, we're all still just speculating really what happened in the crash, but dad hit the wall. We do know this. He had to hit the wall flat driver's side. I thought it was a head-on crash or somehow how did he how did he move forward in the seat? Did the I just assumed the shoulder straps broke the collarbones. But apparently he went to the side, to the left side. And without anything on the left side of that seat to stop him from moving toward the door bars and uh, toward the left side of the car, that's when the shoulder harnesses really kind of just broke the collarbones and, and did that damage. But he, got, move, he moved far enough to actually hit his head on, on the wall briefly, get him a bad concussion, and somehow broke his jaw, which I'm maybe guessing, guessing that he hit his jaw or something on the, on the door top. But, you know, just a lot more injuries than, than I'd ever considered. So, what is the next stage of becoming Earnhardt? Well, we have the 1980 scrapbook. All right. And we, you know, when we wrote this episode, 1979, I sat down and threw the script together. We did this, as Mike loves to say, we did it backwards. And this came together well, and I'm real proud of it. But I think if we do this the right way and write the outline and then bring all the information together and the audio from the races and everything else, it could be so much, so much better as a product, easier for you to listen to. So we're excited about that. We're going to do it. The 1987 is going to happen. The 1980 season is going to happen probably next year. Um, we're coming off of the Rookie of the Year. 1980 is going to be a big year for Dad as well. He's going to have more wins. It's the last season of the big-bodied race car. They're going to go to the smaller cars in 1981. And I have the car in my possession that Dad ran the final race in at 1980 to clinch the championship. That car also won at Atlanta and did several other things throughout the year that we'll talk about. We have the car in our hands. Pretty cool. So we'll talk about that and, and, and let y'all know how that's coming along. Uh, but there's a lot of incredible happenings and moments throughout the 1980 season. I don't want to spoil too much, but Jake Elder will not be the crew chief when the team wins the championship. And that split is really, really dynamic. And there's a lot of articles with some pretty telling quotes. Um, Dad and Kel Yarbrough get into a bit of a um, spirited battle, not only on the racetrack for the championship, but in the media. There's some quotes and comments from both drivers about their opinions of each other and their driving. So should be a lot of fun. We'll also include, obviously, the sisters and Doug Reichert for their take and information what they can recall now that we know what we're trying to do with this series i'm telling you i think 1980 and that season will be even more entertaining uh so until then i hope you've enjoyed our look back on the 1979 year becoming earnhardt came out of some scrapbooks that my aunt made with love and uh it's been incredible to create something with those and i've really enjoyed the feedback that everybody has given us and I hope, you know, it's an evergreen series. If you enjoyed it, now you can share it with friends. They can listen to it in full, have some fun with it, and uh, keep keep the stories out there. Like my aunt said, keep, keep telling the stories and keep sharing with people 
um, some of the cool things that happened in my dad's career, but NASCAR as well. We'll see you next time on Becoming Earnhardt. Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.